Jazz insight and analysis straight from the source. Oh my goodness! goodness. Yeah! Yeah, let's go! This is your Utah Jazz Insider Report on the Zone Sports Network. Here's David Locke. Show me! On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. David's appearance on the show, uh, brought to you as always by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group. Let's get out to the Zone phone. Joining us now, the radio play-by-play voice for the Utah Jazz. He is David Locke. Hello, David. Hello, guys. How are you? Uh, We're doing great, man. How are you? Uh, Regular season coming to a close this week. Feels kind of weird. Can we we stop for a second? Can we just, like, take a minute together? Can can we we come together? Like, the number one seed. Pretty amazing. Like totally incredible. Like, uh, like no one, no one. Like I know we started hot and we got hot and we all kind of like no one ever predicted the Jazz was the number one seed this year. Not the most excited Jazz fan in the world thought the Jazz fan would be the number one seed in the West this year. You are it's right. incredible. What an amazing accomplishment. And then when you start to think about it, actually very subtly here at the end, suddenly Donovan's missed a lot of games, right? Like it was that we were the number one seed because we stayed healthy when everyone else didn't stay healthy and we avoided COVID when everyone else got COVID. That's not really that true anymore. Like, like Mike has suddenly missed just as many games as like Kawhi Leonard and Donovan's missed just as many. Now Rudy's played like the whole shebang. And that's like, what matters is that like Rudy's played the whole shebang and he's that great. Um, but it is just an amazing, like we got to get two more wins. Don't count the chickens before they hatch, but Frankly, if we don't beat Oklahoma City and Sacramento, we probably don't deserve it. So, um, I mean, just an incredible, incredible accomplishment from from everyone involved, from Trent Forrest to Rudy Gobert to, to Mike Elliott and strength and conditioning to Eric Waters as a trainer to Quinn Snyder as a head coach to Dennis Lindsay to to Andrew Mealy and the front office staff. Like, I mean, to Bernie who's making the shakes, like to every single person involved in the organization – what an amazing, amazing accomplishment there on the verge of. Jake and I were talking about this earlier, David, and uh, I think it's meaningful. I mean, some people don't think it means that much. To me, I think it's symbolic of everything you just described, the way the Jazz oh, have played this year. I mean, I think it's really, really meaningful in um, in numerous, numerous fashions. I mean, you know, hey, can you win in Utah? Okay, well, that would just answer that. Now can you win a championship? We'll see. Like, that's hard. Like, that's this is not like – I mean, the first round might be the most difficult round they have of the whole series, frankly, of the, of all of them. And so there's a chance they're going to be number one seed and they go out in the first round. And it's not – to me, that's not a failure. That's the uniqueness of the season. But it And it would be a bummer. But these guys have been amazing. It's a huge accomplishment. It tells you a lot. It tells you how well the team's been put together. It tells you how amazing the head coach is in seeing a vision for his team – during the stoppage of play before they went to the bubble last year. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And frankly, there's, you know, it helps to beat Sacramento by 50 and to play and to blow the Spurs out twice. Um, but frankly, some of the teams they've just hammered recently turned around in one game that shortly, who looked like they'd never win another game, turned around in one game shortly thereafter. So um, they're differential, like without, in the last like stretch of time without Donovan, it's still like one of the best in the NBA. I mean, it's just remarkable what these guys are doing. David Locke with us here on uh, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, I've 
I've got to ask you about Donovan Mitchell and your take on on him not playing for the rest of the regular season, but I don't know how to do it because I hate these topics. As you did sports radio for, for a long, long time. I mean, we don't know. We're not in the medical room. I mean, it seems like it, when people talk negatively about it, what are you doing? You're accusing somebody of, of faking it or, 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 or not being able to play hurt? or I, I don't know. It's always complex to talk about, but I realize that it's a, it's a story, right? Right. It's a huge story. So let's take the various different angles on it. So let's take the most important. What's the impact on the team? It's not great. Like, let's be honest. It's not great. It'd be far better if Donovan was healthy today and could play the final three games of the regular season. Right. So let's not like lie about that. Like that's, it's not great. It'd been better if he had played NBA. Um, now with a, by being the one seed, they're going to gain seven extra days or six extra days. So hopefully he'll be ready by that and be ready to go. Um, then like in regards to the injury, so we don't know. You're 100% right. You've said it well. Um, was it more severe than kind of the initial reports led us to be? Maybe. I don't know. But, like, there was this kind of he got hurt, he got carried off the floor, it looked pretty serious, and then there was this kind of wave for, like, 24 hours that it's not as serious. Okay? Well, that, that may have been inaccurate. I don't know where that really came from, but I would agree that we all kind of got that vibe through whether it was Woj or whatever. We Like, that turned out to not be true. Did he have a setback somewhere along the way? Maybe. I have no idea because we're not there, but that actually happens all the time. So, like, what's the, like, that shouldn't be a stunner, right? Like, how, like, almost every athlete who ever comes back from an injury talks about how they had setbacks along the way. So, if he had a setback somewhere that lengthened it out for another five, six, seven days, not the end of the world. I mean, it, like, or not maybe, like, not the end of the world, but also not that unusual would be a better way to say it. And so, you know, that's kind of where we are. Did, was there, we don't know. Was there a setback? Was it more severe than we were led on to believe by I don't know whom? You know, he's not just – here's the one thing. He's not just sitting out, right? Ideally, he'd play right now if he was available. They would get him out on the floor and give him time um, and get him back into physical shape and conditioning and all those kind of things. I mean, the conditioning's a real issue. Like, if he's not playing an NBA game for a month before he goes up in a playoff game where you'd like him to play 40 minutes, like, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. David, have you uh, learned any specific things about the team in the absence of Donovan Mitchell at Montana? Yeah, I think that Quinn has really done a remarkable job of building a identity and style to how they're going to play. Offensively, um, they're going to play when they're successful. They're going to play quickly. They're going to take, you know, the whole old adage was like work good to great. Like, I kind of love this, I call it the, well, that's good enough approach, right? We have great shooters, so if you get an open look in the first six, seven, eight seconds of shot clock, shoot it. Like, shoot it now. Like, right away. Don't buy fast. Um, you know, I think we're seeing a lot less ball fakes and a lot less, like, holding the ball than we've seen out of this team um, at different times this year. And, you know, I think that's what they, the identity of this team is, like, don't ball fake. Like, either dribble, pass, or shoot immediately. Like, don't do something else. 0.5 seconds. You hear Mike Wells on a halftime show talk about it all the time. Make your decision in 0.5 seconds. Really, what they're saying is make the decision 0.5 seconds before you get the ball. Know when you get the ball. Am I driving? Am I shooting? Am I passing? So that has been, you know, really clear to me of what they're doing. Um, you know, I really think Rudy is having, I don't know how to prove it. I like metrics. You know, I would have been a lawyer if I hadn't done this. Um, I really think Rudy is having one of the greatest defensive seasons of all time. Um, and he, and that is showing here, um, his impact as an MVP candidate over the recent stretch, probably 
you know, if we were really trying to trumpet him right now, I think the race is over and it's Nikola Jokic. But, you know, the fact that the Jazz have stayed above water without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and been playing, uh, I think actually their differential, again, a 50-point blowout skews it in a small sample size, but I think their differential is like 10 or 11, so they're playing at like a 60-win pace. Fine, back it down. Like, if you told me that a team that was going to start Joe Ingles, uh, George Niang, Royce O'Neal, Rudy Gobert, and Boyan Bogdanovich was going to win 50 games in the NBA, I'd have to go, well, something in that equation of that starting lineup is with a back, with a back, with a bench of Trent Forrest, Jordan Clarkson, Derek Favors. Now, the two things I would say is like, oh, your bench is really good. Um, with Jordan Clarkson and Derek Favors, and I'd say, well, some, if that team's going to win 50-plus games or be on pace for 60, then there must be something else in that equation that's far better than we recognize as a collective body, and that would be, I think, two parts. Joe's far better at playing point guard than people recognize, but Rudy's just incredible. Um, and so I think that there's um, – I, I think there's a really legitimate argument that, like, that Rudy is not only – you know, depends what you think valuable is. Um, I, you know, I think he's a top five MVP candidate. I also think he's probably having um, one of the all-time great defensive seasons ever. And that, that's hard to prove, but um, if you want me to elaborate on that, I can. I'll, I, have a, I have a thought. Oh, I just feel like I've talked long enough. No, go ahead. Sure. I think a lot of fans want to hear it. So the front office pivoted over a span of six months, about 24 or about you know, two years ago. And it was after the Houston series. And what really had begun to happen was our defense was unbelievable. But if we were, even if we were good defensively against the best offensive teams, so the Rockets and Warriors, if they were averaging, you know, 115 points per 100 possessions, and we had a great defensive game and held them to 110 points per 100 possessions. So five below their average, did an incredible job. That's what the best defense in the league does our offense wasn't actually good enough to get to that rate. Even if we had a great defensive game, our offense wasn't good enough to to, have, to win. And so when we lost those series to Houston and Golden State, we had a bunch of great defensive games and we still lost. And so the front office appropriately pivoted and said, you know, we have to get better offensively. And they made five really significant moves that were all offensive to defensive moves. So they traded Dante Exum for Jordan Clarkson. That's a defense to offense move. They, Ricky Rubio for Mike Conley, defense for offense move. Really, Boyan Bogdanovich for Derek Favors at the time, defense to offensive move. George Niang for Jay Crowder, offense, you know, offense over defensive move. And then the subtle last one was that whoever's playing backup point guard over Howell Meadow is, was an offense to defensive move. So they made five principled moves to change who we were as a team and take us from the 16th ranked offense to one and let Quinn play with a spread floor for the first time and open it up. And Quinn turned out to be the basketball offensive genius that we all knew he was and the front office was 100% right and the Jazz became one of the elite offensive teams in the league last year we were only okay defensively everyone blamed it on Tony Bradley which I think was really unfair to Tony he wasn't great but I think it was unfair to Tony the truth is and I don't mean this critically at all because I think this is the right thing to do we're a bad defensive team because we pivoted in five positions and made ourselves a good offensive team we just happen to have the greatest defensive player in the history of the game, one of the best defensive players in the history of the game, the best defensive player in the league. And so when Rudy is on the floor, we're terrific defensively because he's that great. But when Rudy's off the floor for both of the last two years, we're not good defensively. It's not because Derek Favors is not good. It's not because Tony Bradley's not good. Just collectively, we're, we're not particularly good defensively. 
because the front office astutely recognized that we needed to make a shift on who we were and be a good enough offensive team to win playoff games. And we should have, you know, if it weren't for a bunch of things, we would have won a playoff series in the bubble. And so they were, they were right. And this is the next maturation of that process, but it's all built on, I mean, without being too crass, it's like how many average or below average defensive players, they're great offensive players. Can we put on one roster with the greatest defensive player in the world and still be good defensively to some extent what we've just done. And so to me, when you contrast what we are defensively with and without Rudy, it's like an 18 point per 100 possession difference. It's one of the most largest gaps we've ever seen in the league. It's a statement of what Rudy is able to do for this roster. Now, I'm not trying to discredit the defensive effort or try to just, and Royce is, you know, does a heck of a job. But Boyan's an offensive player, Joe's an offensive player, Mike's an offensive player, Donovan's an offensive player, George is an offensive player. Have I forgotten anybody? I'm forgetting one of our regular rotation players. I'm sure, like, oh, no, Royce, Rudy, and Derek. Like, okay, those are your, like, we built a team that is now one of the top five offensively and top five defensively. And we're top five offensively because the front office built an offensive team. And we're top five defensively because we're the greatest defensive player in the world who's having one of the greatest defensive seasons of all time. David, I got I rest my I rest my case. Yeah, Ron. and it's a strong case. It really is. Um let me let me just ask a, a, a sort of a simple question that uh, you I want your opinion on, and that that's when defenses switch on the Jazz's offense, uh, and 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 I'm assuming that Donovan Mitchell will be back in the mix and Mike Conley. Uh, what is the best way to defeat a switching defense, David? So we've torched def- switching defenses for most of the season. Um, and what we do on it is you don't set the pick on the pick and roll. You actually just kind of slip it before it ever happens, forcing them to make their switch. And then any of our three isolation players, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, or Donovan Mitchell, drive to the basket either to complete the shot or forcing them to come off Rudy and finding Rudy or Rudy's got a smaller guy. Or they, depending on who they are defensively and how they – how they play, they then may sag into the lane and collapse to try to protect the rim, and now you're kicking out for threes. And then once you create that advantage off the isolation breakdown, because the pick and roll is not going to work, you now are playing advantage basketball, and you're swinging and moving and kicking and getting all these opportunities. And so that's the once you're into a half-court set against a switching defense, that's the best way to do it. The problem the other night was that we didn't have two of the three guys that can beat people off the dribble. We don't really have a fourth player that beats someone off the dribble, gets in the lane, and can kind of dish out as a threat. And so that's why Jordan took 50,000 shots the other (laughs) night. The fact he had no assists was because Golden State's approach was to just hug all the shooters and not, once you beat your guy one-on-one, they just guarded everyone. They didn't ever really come to protect. And as he figured out that they were forcing him left and not letting him get back to his right hand. He started straight line driving with his left hand finishing. And then he also did a masterful job of taking early threes, which is kind of the core to who we are as a team, which is really how you beat it. You just run and don't let him get set. Um, so I think, you know, it's not, that's a defense that does not particularly bother me. We won't see it tonight from Portland. It's not how they play. Um, it's not how the Lakers play, so I wouldn't expect to see it in the first round. We would, we would see it out of Golden State. And with Mike and Donovan, I think it would I don't think it would bother us as much. What what does bother us a little bit, Phoenix has done this to us, is when someone's being particularly – Minnesota does this actually really well with some non-offensive players like Josh Okogie and some of those guys. 
when someone's long and physical and can get up in on us. And so then even if we are able to run our stuff, it's all off mark. In other words, the pick and roll is supposed to happen at, you know, 26 feet and it's happening at 32 or the pick and roll is supposed to be happening angle right. And they can't quite get to the spots. Like if you're a real student of this game, the way Quinn Snyder moves where the pick and roll is throughout the game to discover things or exploits coverages is, one of our greatest strengths, and then with Rudy's a pick setter, but if you can't get the ball to that point and you can't get to where you want to because of their physical pre- pressure, that's when we've been bothered the most. You sort of answered my question in the whole deal with uh, if Donovan and Mike were back in that lineup, if the Jazz faced the Warriors in the first round, they'll have a tougher time with that strategy yeah, than they would I don't, otherwise. Yeah. I, I don't have the data. Um, I could probably find someone who has it for me. Um, I don't think we have had a noticeable decline against switching defenses this year. I think um, I know that we've done pretty well against zones, and I would suspect we've done pretty well against switching defenses as well. I don't, I don't think that matters out there. The the concern, if there is one, is there does seem to be a reoccurring theme of us shooting badly against same teams. So Phoenix, New York, Miami, we're not great against Golden State. One game was okay. Um, and so you wonder, is there something that those teams specifically are doing? And we take enough threes that we're giving a pretty good sample size of 100 threes that it makes it hard to, you know, you begin to wonder whether or not maybe they're doing something that, that we don't quite have figured out. Thank you, David. We'll talk to you tonight on the broadcast. Was that David James' record of, like, long answers for only three questions? Probably they, pretty they, close. Uh, yeah, but they were good answers. They were good. They were good. Good stuff. Well, I don't know this team after 70 games. I probably don't deserve a job. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. See ya.